Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Charles, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's been a couple of months. Uh, how have you been? It's been a wacky world, and I've been kind of out of the loop. I've been more in the 60s and 70s because it's less tension there uh, just with everything going on. How's it been, man? Yes. I, I've been busy, too. I've been, I've been moving, and um, I've been on the road probably about half that time I've been spending in hotels, and this being one of those times. And so I, when we last talked, I had just started, well, actually, I don't remember exactly when last talked, but I had just started working, um, doing some contract research work for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was kind of funny that I know that your show has gone on a, a JFK bent since that time. And, and I've kind of learned a lot. Uh, I'm done, I only did that for six months. And it was it was research related to COVID and um, for his book, his his next book, and for uh, potential legal actions and stuff. And so I've I've learned a lot about Kennedy stuff just by doing my own research uh, into RFK. And so, a I, I, I've started to become really interested in that because. Um, obviously his dad was assassinated and so he has very particular opinions and his opinions are not the mainstream opinions um he 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 basically completely believes that the deep state is corrupt and that they're the reason they're the ones who killed um, both his dad and his uncle so that's been interesting i haven't talked to him specifically about that but i am like, I wish I'd, I'd had more time to watch all of, I've only been able to see some of your episodes, but so I, so I do, I've been following that. Um, and then also during that time, I've been continuing to do research into all the different things that we had kind of talked about and compiling evidence so, so that way that I could, uh, when the time came, be able to use it effectively. And, and within the last month or so, that's really kind of what's crystallized. And, and I know that you're going to have Andrew Huff on in, in this next show. I, well, I guess. Yeah, we're going to record this before we talk with Andrew Huff about some more COVID-related stuff. Don't worry, this video is probably not going on YouTube. It's just going to go on Spotify where it's actually free. But I, a lot of this stuff, like I took a break, and I think during the summer, even when I was really interested, and I'm still interested in the JFK stuff, we watched a documentary, and it's a very popular COVID documentary because of the things that they did in it, and it was the unvaccinated documentary, and it literally made me sick. I think we talked about it um, briefly on the group panel we did with all the other scientists and stuff when we had that COVID discussion. I think I called it like rethinking pandemia or something like that, um, but it's kind of from there. I noticed that my town does not talk about it at all. And just recently getting into conversations and even emailing for like guest spots or if I'm trying to get someone on my show, academics would look through the profile and see a COVID related episode and click on it. They see Peter McCullough's name. They see Peter Pierre Corey's name. They see your name. They see Andrew Huff's name. They say whoever, and they read it and see the whole COVID thing. And if it didn't fit the official mainstream, they get really mad and start saying words like anti-vaxxer and things of these sorts. And I've done plenty of discussions from people in the NIH and the WHO and the opposite side, literally two vaccine lawyers on right back to back after each other, two with varying different opinions on mandates and all those types of things. So I try to keep a balanced approach, but there's questions that have now turned into arguments and these arguments 
that should have just been regular questions seem to have one-sided answers, whether they give you a statement like, do you think that killing people is right? And you're like, that has nothing to do with whether I want to be forced to take something I know nothing about. And it's really just this balancing of questions where now if you ask a question, you get shamed for doing so. And I'm sure your world's probably a little bit different. You probably found a lot of people that are questioning things now that either they got COVID after their shots or something of that sort. And the discussion needs to be had because the main issue here, and it's what I kind of draw in on, is the fact that the now the medical reputation has really always kind of been hidden. There's a dark history, whether you want to go back to like lobotomies and stuff or just medical scandals in general. But now the message that was supposed to be delivered in the proper form has been hijacked by certain I would say elite figures of authority, Fauci and these types of sorts, and it has completely lost faith in the whole medical system and has just opened up the flood doors to the point where now nobody's going to ever really trust institutions for the foreseeable future right now because they feel like they've been lied to. And I think when we were talking about it, we were talking about the CDC's you know, denial of ivermectin and other drugs you can't name on YouTube, and then they started using them for, for treatment. And it was like back in the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't use anything. There was only this shot you had to take, and there was no other forms. Everything else was horse paste and the whole littered yard. So now I know I gave you a lot, but we're in this situation where there's a lot of people with questions. There's a lot of people that are just trying to figure out like, what the hell do we do? Do you have lose full trust in your institutions or you just look at certain select individual few, few who should be saying the answers or at least apologizing and not doubling down like they've been doing? Well, I, so it's, it's hard to know how much of the institutions are corrupt because especially in the case of the NIH or HNHS or CDC, FDA, what the problem is, is that the people at the top are absolutely corrupt. And because of that, it, it trickles down. And what's really disturbing to me is that We've had Andrew Huff, who used to work at the Health Alliance, who came forward. We've had Major Murphy, who was in the military, but he was he was working under DARPA, under a fellowship. And uh, Brooke Jackson, who was at Pfizer. But from the NIH, which has 18,000 employees, we've had zero whistleblowers. And of course, the NIH is basically in control of basic scientific research dealing with biology and health. And so, and they also control all the funding. And so the fact that nobody, that none of those 18,000 employees have come forward and none, except for Andrew Huff, of the hundreds of thousands of researchers that are funded by them have even come forward. I mean, that, that, that's a horrific lack of leadership, uh, lack of integrity. And so I don't know how much you have to take the system apart in order to be able to, I think you might just have to replace it with something else. Because right now, this pandemic is basically proof positive that you don't have people of integrity running these institutions. It's terrifying. What stopped 18 or however many thousand people from stepping forward? Not one single person except like Andrew Huff. And I know some independent doctors. I know there's a whole great Barrington declaration. But do you think it's because we got really, really far in when nobody still kind of knew that a lot of this stuff was kind of like – it's a bluff. Like when you're gambling, it's a bluff. And at this point, the bluff's been called and we're still bluffing. 
So, I mean, is it that where you keep doubling down because you're really going to be in some serious trouble? I mean, the way you phrased it is not just like I would just point at Anthony Fauci as the guy. But, I mean, also, yeah, you could say that every single person that knew that it was crap and still kept pushing it as well, too. I mean, we don't have to get into COVID-related uh, or COVID vaccine deaths and COVID-related deaths, but we can definitely talk about things that they've gotten wrong or said that were wrong and have been proven to be right, like the lab leak hypothesis, which is now starting to look like um, they're going to do another investigation into it, which is interesting to me because I'm like, is it because of that CCP balloon? I just feel like at this point now, they're like, screw it. We're just going to say China did it. Before, it seemed like it would be smart not to mess up international relations, but... I, well, I think you're absolutely right in thinking and looking at everything and, and thinking that they're, they're connected. Um, and uh, obviously, I, I went from just being a normal person who was, I guess, following mostly the mainstream conservative point of view of things. And so def definitely, I nobody would have looked at me prior to the pandemic and said, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. And of course, in investigating the origin, that's the only thing that I've been called. And it, it, it's disappointing, but, but that's exactly what they're doing, is that they're, there's so much corruption connected to a whole bunch of different things across American social history and government history. And especially in the last few years, it, it's helped me to come to see the JFK assassination, for instance, in a different light, because I really do believe that the, what the deep state does is they, they manufacture all these different events and then they, or they're, they're, they do certain things and then they manufacture um, a haze of confusion around them so that way people can't get to the bottom of it and that's ex that's exactly what's happening here and I, and I know that I, I can prove it <laughs> and so it, it, I can't say anymore okay well are they trying to do this to distract from this the odds are probably yes I mean the fact that the media is so controlled by whatever the deep state is is well it means that they're able to construct these narratives and continue them past the point of of stupidity i mean in De in december of 2021 76% of americans republican or democrat i, I want i want to say it was 83% republican and like 62% democrat believed that the lab leak was the probable origin of the pandemic and that was more than a year ago and yet, if, if you watched CNN, you would, you would never even know that. But that was a year ago, and I'm sure that it's over 80% now of all Americans that understand that it probably came from the lab. So the fact that they're able to prevent half of America from even hearing about it at all um, is disturbing. But it can't even be denied anymore. I, I don't see how it can be denied. I mean, I I believe it's that the war in Ukraine is the same, is the same thing. Yeah, didn't we just arm people in Ukraine as well too to go back against Russia? Well, we <laughs> we've been 
we've been arming Ukrainians since 2014. And, and ironically, that's what Hunter Biden was doing. He was acting as an intermediary, sending $7 billion to oligarchs in East Ukraine to, to fight against uh, Russian separatists since 2014. And the reason that they don't want to, the, the reason why the Hunter Biden thing is such a problem, yes, we all know he's a terrible human being, but it's that money that they're, they're trying to hide the fact that they've been fighting this war since 2014. And the best way to cover that up is to start an actual war. Because now, you know, no one's ever going to know. No, or basically, the, the only reason we're in Ukraine is to protect the deep state and to protect Biden's interests there. That's it. It's not because we care at the Ukrainians. When you say deep state, can, what's your idea of a deep state? Because mine's a little bit different, but I think mine, I'm looking at a more prehistory version. You're looking at more of a more modern day version. Like I would say the prehistory version for me would be our intelligence agencies, which I still think are possible today as our intelligence agencies are what I would call the deep state. But I also think with the time gap from like the 60s and 70s that I've been focused in for so long, the modern day gap is now entrepreneurs and business owners that have somehow influenced the market research and government research as well too and now being connected it's like these big rockefeller types with the giant fat cigars you got the pfizer ceo you got a bunch of corporations that were given good gracious during the pandemic pfizer i think now can be sued but then there's not moderna i mean before in the beginning it was you cannot sue pfizer you could sue johnson and johnson but you couldn't touch the other ones and it was like it doesn't make sense i mean if you're forcing someone to get it or they're going to lose their job and everything else you're literally putting them in a position to make the choice and now you're saying they can't do anything if they get damages which was when youtube changed their guideline policies for the longest time they said you could never talk about vaccine side effects and then they changed it saying you can but it has to be you the person that experiences those side effects so they realized they were diminishing a voice which at, at this point has become so divisive i mean labeling right wing as racist and all this was the same thing when um trump said all those things about kung flu and all this type of stuff it immediately became racist to even question if it came from the lab and it wasn't about that at all it was about that they literally have a lab that is designed to do gain-of-function research and you should question that i mean it makes if that would not have happened the trump stuff everyone would have suspected it would have been that lab but since it became racist and it became some type of right-wing conspiracy people didn't want to touch it on either side and they didn't want to say it because it would be racist to me it's more racist to say it came from the fucking market you're saying it came in something that was being sold there for food. You know, like that just sounds like really, really like that sounds way worse. But that was also a good way of like China capitalized on top of that. They did the same thing with Nike. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at past history events. I'm trying to find something where it's happened before to give a more modern day example. And if you talk about like the deep state, now we can talk about intelligence agencies. But now it seems like it's influenced with people who have connections with people in higher forms of authority or power. And what has always happened throughout history? People in positions of power tend to abuse the hell out of it. I mean, if they want, you know, it's like being an adult around a kid. You say something, you want them to do it. When they say no, you make them do it. So it's it's that's not crazy at all to say that's a perfect example and it gets everyone to the level. It doesn't mean like government red, white, and blue is bad. It just is letting you know that there's a lot of corruption in, in these institutions. I mean, I so so the, the, the question was what, like, what is the deep state now? And I would say that, <clears throat> It centers around the 
the security apparatus. So, you know, the CIA, all of our intelligence agencies, I would say that the director of national intelligence, um, at least the current one now, which is Avril Haynes, um, she is the epicenter of what the deep state is. And back in the 50s and 60s, like around JFK, the deep state, as controlled by the intelligence agencies, was more of a, I guess, a reactionary apparatus that tended to be um, pro American, like very pro American, and use that to weaponize that against what it saw as anti American uh, interests, you know, or like communism, et cetera. And what we've seen is so I believe the, the intelligence community is still at the core of it. I don't think it's that the military has a leading role in it. I, I think they utilize the military and there's conflict between them, but I would say that the intelligence agencies are still the core of it. And then the real, I think, problem, other than the fact that um, left-leaning ideologues, because they were, they, they've always hired from the, the Ivy League schools, but as those Ivy League schools became incredibly um, left-leaning, and it started to divorce itself, fewer and fewer um, agents were from the military, and they started investing in what became Silicon Valley. I, I wouldn't really ble- I wouldn't the say game. the word left leaning just because I, I I feel like right saying right wing and left wing gets way too many people whether they side with that it just has them tune out for some reason but there is all there is the uh, church committee and you can look at the church committee report the CIA has been active on college campuses for a very long time and so has the FBI there's plenty of history events in the 60s 70s and I've talked about modern day institutions MK Ultra was over 44 college institutions um, that was funded over a hundred thousand something dollars. So, I mean, there is a, a connection there with the government using institutions well, and research okay. and things of that sort. So you're right. I, I would say that, that left-leaning probably isn't the right term. I would say that in terms of being more open to um, ideas that 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 early, like, reactionary, like... They're more open to working with the government or what the government says rather than questioning it, mostly because yes, of their person in power. That's, that's a very good way to put it because I, I think that what's interesting now is just in the last, since the pandemic started, what we've seen is a lot of what you would call left or, or progressives or Democrats. They've, they've also come out against the, you know, the vaccine mandates, against the censorship on social media. That's why Substack is, I think, doing so well. It's because it's it's apolitical, and you're seeing people from all sides. That's where all the voices are able to congregate because there's so few platforms where they can do it. And so a lot of, of the commentators that I know on Substack, they're not at all conservative. And, and I don't think what we have now is a problem between Democrats and Republicans. The problem we have now is that this deep state has become it, like it's public. It's one giant public-private partnership, which is which is a more of a fascist thing. It's not a le- left or right thing, and that's the. It's literally what what Eisenhower stated in his farewell address that we should have feared. That's exactly what's happened, 
and, and now it's not a political thing. There's, there's the fact that Democrats used it has more to do with the fact that at the time, Trump was the, the president and he was not what the deep state wanted. And so, and that, and the pandemic itself, I would say the most democratic politicians we didn't have strong feelings one way or another, but but the Democratic leadership wanted to protect Fauci because he was a voice against Trump that was unelected. And and they loved the fact that they could weaponize certain things against Trump. But at its core, I don't believe that this is a political problem at all. This is a leadership problem. And the fact that we've let the deep state get too too out of hand and that the fact that you see all these FBI agents and CIA agents um, at Twitter or at Facebook or at other places or Google in particular, that's terrifying because it's they're in control of how we how our society communicates with each other. And we saw to devastating effect what happens when they weaponize that uh, through censorship. Well, the dangership of censorship is the fact that when the public goes for questions, they go usually go to the internet. And when they go to the internet, they go to Google, Facebook, any of these types of major platforms like YouTube and all these. Like you can, if I ask you to describe Rumble, you will probably say something that's free of community or free of rules and restrictions, unlike YouTube. And it's like usually when people go there, they go for the crazy stuff you can't get on YouTube. But if they can know they can get it on YouTube like a song, they'll probably go to YouTube just because it's so big. It was one of the first ones out there. Now, when you get those corporations in your pocket and you have them limit certain things that can be said, it now limits the skew of information that the public is able to receive. Whether you want to say that it's wrong or you want to say that it's right, the conversation should still be had, which is the importance of free speech. But if we get if we get into subjects when it comes to, I mean, control, but the controlling thing is weird because then i see woody harrelson on tv talk about you know in a joking way but he said it and and honestly it didn't look so much like a joke it looked more kind of like he was being serious but everyone either said oh he's just joking around or even the crowd i think tried to laugh out of awkwardness because it seemed like i mean a lot of those talk show hosts are kind of left-leaning a little bit um i don't know any ones that are really conservative um but when he said but he did that on purpose because he could get because he knew that it was being broadcast live. At least I believe it's broadcast live. And so they couldn't, and, and the fact that it was like a, a, a long, like subdued story, um, I, I think he did it because he knew he could get away with it. And th- there was only so much they could do. Well, to- most people tweeted that he was crazy. Or look how nuts Woody Harrelson looked. And I don't know if that's just my algorithm showing me that, but you know, it's, what prob- it's probably your algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, my algorithm is probably a lot different than yours. I mean, just because you're talking about things that usually the people I talk to don't ever wouldn't even entertain the discussion of talking about anything wrong with the pandemic. And I think 
I, we can all find a basis on that. The whole medical message was lost in translation, and I don't know why they thought Anthony Fauci was going to be the person that was going to restore it. They pulled him out in the AIDS pandemic, and it's like the same thing happening all over again. You know, he didn't do very good in the AIDS pandemic either. He doom mongered and he fear scared. He did all that stuff like he did in this pandemic, and now I, I think he's retiring. Right? He's not going to be in there any longer. But yeah, he, he's he's stepped down, and he's he hasn't completely retired. But like he he joined some board I can't remember, even remember the name of it right now, but but he's gone from the NIH which and he and he's no longer in charge of the pandemic response so he's now effectively out of government. But what's interesting is that even now that he's gone, nobody wants to talk bad about him in official circles, and that's scary because. We need to. <laughs> we need to talk about what actually happened during the pandemic. And so, I mean, I've been in. Uh, well, do you I've, think that was a real structural move, or do you think that was a PR move that they just had to get rid of Fauci because he's already been too attached to lying and a lot of this other stuff that was going on? I mean, he's even publicly said some things about like, you know, I never fully ruled out the lab leak theory, and I think everyone can go check the track history to see that he did rule it out. Uh, yeah, he, he was he was actively leading the efforts to prevent that public discussion. So it doesn't really matter what he says now. Um, we know that he was actively censoring such things. So it's kind of he, he can say whatever he wants now, but nobody believes anything he's saying anymore because <laughs> he was actively working since early 2020 with Twitter and Facebook. And so even before the Hunter Biden stuff came out, um, there was censorship already taking place. We just didn't know it until after the Trump administration. And, and in fact, one of the things that I discovered two years ago was the proof that Anthony Fauci was uh, leading that effort, or at least among the people leading it. And he was working with Trump's uh, science advisor, like the presidential science advisor, who also holds the, he's the chair of the Office of Science and Technology Policy for the White House, so the OSTP. Like two days after their very famous February 1st, 2020 teleconference where they were talking about the origin of the virus, they had another teleconference with, the, with this OSTP chair. And the purpose of that meeting was to fight misinformation about COVID's origin. And the really interesting part about that is that Donald Trump didn't know that all of these things were taking place behind the scenes to cover up the NIH's ties to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. His entire administration wasn't told about that. So what it really means is that Anthony Fauci and presidential science advisor Kelvin Drogemeyer were colluding to hide these links from the president of the United States and ultimately just to protect Fauci and to protect the research apparatus. Um, and, I, and in the summer, or I'm sorry, in September of 2021, when I met with congressional investigators in person, they confirmed to me that my supposition about that was true, that even though it hasn't really been, hasn't been able to make it to the public, um, that Kevin Drogermeyer was in fact working with Fauci to hide this from the president and 
in November of 2021, when I, I, I co-wrote a special for Glenn Beck and, and he actually covers it and talks about it there. That's the only time it's ever been mentioned. So can, can I raise just on, on that point as well, too? Can I just raise the fact that they also wanted Trump out before? Because I think they gave that information to the Biden administration to look into the whole lab thing as well, too, not just protecting Anthony Fauci. But there's cables that were released from Josh Rogan, a CNN uh, guy had saw those cables and he was on Rogan trying to talk about this as well, too, a few years ago. Um, he actually pu published the cables in his book, but they waited till Trump was out because I think they didn't want I think they just wanted Trump out. They wanted the Biden administration to handle it. And even the Biden administration picked up a lot of things the Trump administration was doing when it came to relations with China as well, too. But nobody really pressed hard against that lab. I mean, the whole idea of you had friends of the lab investigating the lab. I mean, that goes back. You can take that to 71 where Hale Boggs was calling out J. Edgar Hoover, who was in charge of like COINTELPRO and all these horrible programs and stuff that we found out after he died. And the guy says, sounds like a conspiracy. Um, Where's your evidence? He goes, he's wiretapping congressmen, but you're asking the FBI to investigate the FBI. It's not going to happen. So there's a track record of that, and it's on tape. So it's not like this is just all happening now and it's all woo-ha. No, this is like there's been a history of this type of stuff, and it's hard because if you're relying on information and evidence that the government's doing and the government's at fault, they're going to manipulate that much like anybody can manipulate a graph to make it say whatever the hell you want. I mean, there's plenty of that's what happens with like the, why the whole climate thing is a giant issue as well, too, is because everyone that's relaying the message can swing it into whatever narrative they want to fit, which makes it dangerous when you're really just trying to understand the real information. Yes, yes. And what's really disturbing. So what I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Yes. I like I like the analogy because it's very true. And the just like with the. Well, you're going to see that all of these conspiracies really kind of become a major conspiracy, and they're all connected because the JFK assassination. And actually, before I say this, I think I'm interested to kind of um, hear what you thought of Tucker Carlson's uh, recent uh, newscast, where he discusses, where he calls out. Um, the JFK assassination. Fuck Tucker I would Carlson. love to know what you th fuck Tucker okay. Carlson. I had to say it because what he said, I had been saying for months and I had said it at work about Julian West visiting Jack Ruby. I have the documents. I can show you where they gave him 126 x-rays in a matter of two weeks. Doesn't matter if they injected him with whatever or not. Um, that'll give you some radio radiation poisoning or something of that sort. But I had been saying it for months and he says it once. And then like everyone that I had said it to comes up to me and goes, wait, it's real. I'm like, why did that guy have to verify? But no, he talked about the S force, which is another probably has more evidence on who actually did it, which honestly is just getting the public in on the discussion on that one. Cause there's a lot of people like, it's hard to even get people to care about the pandemic. Like I said, where I live, nobody, everyone moved on. It's like, it never even happened, but when I talk to someone who's in Oregon or someone who's in another part state that is highly still locked down and they're still very, you know, nervous about going out and wearing double masks and listening to getting the next booster and stuff like that. To me, it's just like, I mean, eventually, like, I mean, it's not good to keep putting stuff in your body like that, but I don't know. I'm saying that'll get me like, you know, targets on my back basically. Well, so that, that's kind of what I was assuming. And the bottom line is, is that what Tucker, Tucker Carl said, the thing that matters about it is that it's basically true. 
um, it's it's the bottom line that that we're starting to understand that okay, the government probably did it, and then like the CIA prob- probably is who killed the president. We've got a lot of skeletons in our closet, and the really disturbing thing is that, and what I've been researching really in the last six to nine months is that there's so many threads that tie back in time really to the 60s and because that's when the NIH really started doing a lot of research into what it calls what it called cancer research at the time but was really about finding viruses and specifically ones that cause cancer and and other things and learning more about them and it it that that whole story connects from the special virus cancer program to HIV and our response to HIV and the and the continuing and growing connections between what we call the deep state and our health our public health apparatus and the fact that after MK Ultra, they, had, they also had MK Naomi, and that was basically where the where the CIA um, started taking control of what had been our official offensive biological weapons program. They they kept portions of it alive and kept doing the research, and that, in my mind, directly connects to. COVID now, because all the things that we built around that have, you know, Fauci was a part of all those things, basically, Fauci or his predecessors. And what we're seeing now, even the the parts of the virus that that appear to be HIV-like, they knew about all those things, and that understanding was developed. In, in the decade leading up to the pandemic. So it's it's incredibly disturbing because it's the same people every time, or the same institutions, the CIA, NIH, and, and others that are they're doing this. And and the one thing that I don't think Tucker Carlson said, and I don't remember who said it, but I just want to say I, I don't mean what I said about Tucker Carlson. I think he's an okay guy, but also I don't like any news network people at all. Um, oh no, no, it's okay. But, but the, uh, now, now that I'm thinking about it, it might not have been him that said it, but somebody said that. Oh no, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Well, I mean, I but, even have problems, and I've mentioned this on the show before. Anderson Cooper, for instance, I didn't like how he had the Las Vegas mayor or governor on his show because i don't know if you've noticed cnn tends to anderson cooper is an intelligent guy um but he also gets people that aren't aren't on his level on purpose um the las vegas nevada mayor where they're talking about china's restrictions for restaurants because the las vegas mayor wanted to open back up and you know he says don't you think you should be following china's restrictions and she goes this isn't china this is las vegas nevada and if you hear her say that you everyone in their head just went jesus 
but Anderson Cooper's like, that's very ignorant. And I'm like, well, you know, you, you set, you set that up. You did that on purpose to make it seem like that these people and that she's now going to be associated as anti-vax or people that are against this type of stuff and opening back up. And then you seem like the intellectual being that's right about everything. You're coming from now a created moral high ground, which makes no sense. But everything you're saying about cancer research and things of this sort. I always bring up the double standard, which is that if I told you that a year before Jack Ruby claimed they gave him cancer and all this, they were injecting in an Ohio penitentiary prisoners with live cancer cells. They were doing that. They were experimenting on it with that. That is real, and it happened. There's documentaries you can watch about it, and more people will believe that because it's prisoners, and prisoners have a large history where they've been abused and tortured because they're they just don't have rights because they're locked and incarcerated. So I go, it's the it's well, I I say it's the double standard because what you have to understand is if you can accept that prisoners can be given live cancer cell injections, you have to start looking at it could happen to fucking anybody. You don't have to be in prison because there's still people too, right? And once you say that, people kind of get to the level of it, but then it's like showing them like. The CIA, for instance, you can look it up on YouTube, heart attack gun shows it right in the middle of the church committee hearings. It's a heart attack gun that shoots a dart and within 24 hours, the person goes into cardiac arrest. That sounds nuts, but I'm just saying this because despite all the people that might be listening that are fans of yours, there might be people out there that just kind of want to find the connection um, just to get in on the discussion. Some people aren't really into what's going on and all this stuff that you're saying. So I'm just trying to help you out with finding some common threads there. No, it's okay. Um, so it's really funny that you mentioned prisoners, and so I'll explain that in a second. But um, what I'd heard was that the reason why Gerald Ford, and actually the reason why Nixon didn't, um, and, so, and so once again, I don't remember if it was Tuck Carlson or not, but somebody had said that the reason why. Um, Nixon resigned was because, or the reason why they got him to resign was because he was going to um, publicly talk about the fact that the CIA had had killed JFK. And oh, that's a that, the Bay of Pigs remark that he made. Um, he made a remark saying about the Bay of Pigs. He says you don't want to do the whole. Bay of Pigs debacle. Now, I had Jeff Shepard on the show, and if you know who Jeff Shepard is, he defended Nixon during his Watergate trial. So he was on Nixon's defending staff as a lawyer. I asked him three times about that missing tape of uh, on the Nixon tapes that everyone speculates about being the Kennedy assassination. He ignored me all three times. Um, so I'm not saying it has weight to it, but Nixon was definitely not anyone's favorite. I think the, the history of him probably makes him a little bit harsher than i mean i don't think he should have stayed but there's a lot of things he did wrong but there was real things to show that he was being targeted in a sense uh such as he told hoover you need your fbi needs to help me out with a couple of things hoover denied doing it because they were already spreading themselves too thin then he tried to create his own fbi and he just thought i'm the president you all work for me and that's not how it works nixon's the best example of the military industrial complex he tried to pressure the Federal Reserve. He tried to pressure so much, and none of these agencies wanted it. That's why it looks like he was just the only president throughout history, despite every other president's scandals. He's the one that comes out as like the worst crappy president. I was like, if he would have beat Kennedy in the 60s, he would have won like he would have never had this history because all of everything he was doing was perfect for that the 60s. And it had been going like that before, but 
Kennedy kind of changed it a little bit with firing Alan Dulles in charge of the CIA, trying to get Hoover to retire. And this kind of ushered in a new thought where people started going, what the hell is going on in our government? And that open door that has been open since Kennedy has not closed. And now it's only gotten wider and wider. And the layer of mistrust has now leaked into institutions, not just the CIA and things, but now NIH, all these things that we're supposed to hold accountable and they hide under blankets like medical or you know, health industries, any of these types of things. And that's why it leads to independent researchers like yourself, other people out there that have to write on platforms that they're able to do their writings on because they get banned, because now it's leaking into communication efforts as well, too. Well, that's why I say that ultimately it's all connected because they've, it, it, it's, it's scary, but at the same time, I think this, there's always needed to be a reckoning. I think that after, I think we'll, we could say the 1950s when they, the war had ended and everybody was going back to normal and like Eisenhower was, was trying to, there was an economic boom and, and I think Eisenhower really saw that many of the excesses that had been done and, and taken by various agencies during the war and then afterwards or including the creation of, of the national security apparatus after the war, I think that really, he understood that they'd gone too far and that they needed to, to reset it so that way everything was in its proper, proper place. And instead, it very, well, I mean, you know, his, his successor president within two and a half years um, was basically assassinated by this threat that, that Eisenhower had, had been talking about. And the medical side of it, the medical research side of it has always been there through MKUltra and MKNAOMI. And, um, and so it's funny that you mentioned prisoners because during the Nixon administration and, and afterwards, there was more prisoner experiments where they were testing various, um, well, what they called a flu and mycoplasma um, treatments and injections, vaccines, et cetera. And what, what I discovered, and it wasn't really my research, but I've been looking at, and I think that it's connected to the COVID pandemic now. And what they discovered is that, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Garth Nicholson, but he was, he was like the senior, he was the head of the cancer department at, at UT Austin as a professor, a Nobel Prize nominated uh, scientist um, who knew a lot about cell-to-cell uh, -cell interactions. And his daughter in, in, you know, in the early 90s, so 91, she was one of the thousands of, of troops that came back from the Gulf War that had Gulf War syndrome. And so he did some research into that and started like taking his own time and, and testing a bunch of them, getting blood samples. And what he discovered is that there was this bacteria that was inside a bunch of these Gulf War veterans, specifically all of the ones who'd been in Southern Iraq at the, at the end of the war when they blew up the Iraqi biological weapons research facility, which by the way, um, 
the United States in the previous years, so like in five to 10 years earlier during the Iran-Iraq war, we had supported Saddam Hussein and we had specifically sent him some stuff from our own defensive biological weapons program. And, but all the troops around this facility when it was blown up came back with very specific mycoplasma infections and their immune systems were, were suppressed. And that mycoplasma had, with, had within it um, what's called the envelope or spike protein of HIV called GP120, at, like um, engineered like with it. So it was carrying this specific um, epitope and he, he found it in all of the ones that were from that geographical location at that time. And right after that, he looked at blood samples from a bunch of prisoners in Texas um, that during the early, or during the 70s and early 80s were tested with various vaccines and vaccine candidates. And he found mycoplasma that had various pieces, not just GP120, but, but other proteins from the HIV virus. And what I realized is that when you place these in chronological order, what you see are these experiments taking place to where you're learning more and more about HIV and, and more and more about what parts of HIV are dangerous or do whatever it is that you want it to do. And in the SARS-CoV-2 genome, so, so in, the, in the 80s, you had them putting different pieces of HIV in these vaccine candidates. In the early 90s, the Gulf War syndrome people had one specific part that was, was showing up in these vaccines, in the anthrax vaccine or in other things. In the SARS-CoV-2 virus on the spike protein, which is also the exact thing that they use for the vaccines here, they don't have the full GP120. They have three specific bits. And these three specific bits are the exact 3% of the genome that allows it to infect human dendritic cells without uh, causing like symptoms. Because And then the, the dendritic cells, eventually this gets back to your immune system. Then they infect the actual T cells that they want to infect which is exactly what happens with the HIV virus. And we've, and we've now have studies proving that SARS-CoV-2 can infect human T cells using the same DC sign pathway. So, and they also kept all of these specific bits in the vaccine. Why? I don't know, because we know for a fact that they knew that these were bad. I don't know if you've heard the recent um, Department of Energy like, just came out a couple of days ago and said, yeah, we think that, um, that the, this came from a lab. And the subtext of that is that the Department of Energy is, is the, they have a, a giant computer system that looks at um, various parts of viruses and compares them and says, okay, these are good, these are bad, specifically for HIV vaccine research and other vaccines. 
And they do this because they have the best computer systems in the world. So the same people that came up with that intelligence estimate stating that it was most likely came from the lab are the exact same people that I've been saying for months was exactly the reason why they knew it came from the lab because they saw these specific unnatural pieces inside the SARS-CoV-2 genome and knew that it couldn't be natural because they had done for decades all this research on the same things. And basically what that means is, is that, that the assertion that I was making before that, that the reason why Anthony Fauci knew that it couldn't be natural is because he knew that the HIV pieces, which he, which he started censoring the day after the first paper appeared that talked about them, um, that that was the very specific reason why he wanted to censor it, because he could not allow that discussion to emerge that, that there was this uh, sameness between HIV and SARS-CoV-2, because even if he didn't make it, it would be obvious that it was unnatural and it would cause a lot of attention to come on to all this research that they've been doing. And yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that that's the case and nobody wants to talk about it. But the problem is, is that the reason why COVID suppresses the immune system and the reason why the, the vaccine does too and, and is because it suppresses the immune system. And when your immune system is suppressed, all of your cancer cells that are being produced daily your body always makes mistakes every single day. And every single day, your immune system works to take out the mistake cells. And it's only at the end of life, when your immune system starts to get naturally suppressed, that you, you see the most tumors and things start forming. And yet, that's exactly what's happening now. And so all these rising cancer rates and everything else, it makes perfect sense when you simply look at the science. and all of that has all that what we're seeing now appears to be the culmination of decades and decades of research to create weaponized viruses that can do that can suppress the immune system. Two examples, well, two examples. One's easy, and the other one's kind of might be a far fetched get. So you can correct me if you don't think it's accurate. One example is cover your ass, which is a common tactic in the government, which is just covering up anything that would trace back to you and possibly put your job in further research. You got to think if you're studying something for 50 something years, this is one of the biggest problems with the Kennedy assassination. There's all these people that have been researching it for almost 60 years, and they all have individual thoughts about who did it. So if they won't talk to each other because one person's work could hinder all your 60 years worth of work. So it just becomes like you got to protect your own and it's got to protect your life's work. So they just refuse to even associate. So cover your ass right there. The second one is when you are hit with a bullet and they can't get the bullet out of you, they wait for the bullet to come out because your body will reject the foreign object. And you can look at that with something that gets inserted into your body or your bloodstream and what your immune system is trying to do by tackling it or taking it down. 
I mean, there's plenty of diseases out there too that attack itself because it just can't, it, it, that's what the disease does. It confuses the cells and the cells just start to basically attack its own living cells and it's how people end up dying. But is the problem with the vaccines, like the spike protein as well too, don't when they give you a boost, it j jacks up that spike protein again. And that's what the cause of variants that have like a higher attack on spike protein. And also there's an issue now with vaccines with shedding as well too. I've been hearing that a lot. People saying like someone who's vaccinated can actually give off some of their vaccination or whatever that thing is into a non-vaccinated. Is that real? Um, so shedding. Is that scared me. I'm like, what the fuck is that shit? I said I wasn't going to get it. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter if you're standing in an elevator with a person who's double vaccine boosted, you're fucked. I'm like, shit. Um, so so it's 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 true that, that you can shed, that exosomes can shed your um, that shed the spike protein out of you and that this can leave your body and, and eventually it's a problem charles i'm on tinder and they added a setting to where you can have vaccinated <laughs> or unvaccinated i'm like this shouldn't even be did a they, fucking did thing they actually do that they do they That's do yeah it's fucking weird too how many people actually put that on there like vaccinated and then there's people that are like unvaccinated and just as hardcore conservative and i'm just like i don't want to fill it out like I prefer not to answer. Wow. Well, I tell you what. Um, if now I was vaccinated with the, with the first two shots, I, I'll never do it again. But um, I that is very interesting because I think in the future what you're going to see is that people are going to be looking for unvaccinated people. <laughs> because, to beat up is what's going to happen because they're going to realize that it was a huge mistake but so for it's possible that that yes you do shed because i mean you also breathe them out the the uh, the virus and then somebody else gets it now the spike protein isn't the entire virus so if if you shed it 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 can't cause somebody else to get infected by SARS-CoV-2 but what it does because the spike protein has all these immunosuppressive elements to it, it can it can still cause damage, and ultimately that's um, it can. Brief technical difficulties. I thought Charles. I honestly thought you were going to get killed when you got up and checked the door. I was like, yes, we talked about JFK and COVID. You know, uh, kind of the no nos. <laughs> that's a. Uh, I'm not going to to lie and say that uh, I don't think about that <clears throat> specifically because um, about oh, well, almost exactly a year ago now, I, when I, the first iteration of, of, of the research that I've, that I've kind of been explaining to you just now related to the, the link between HIV and, and SARS-CoV-2 is uh, I just done a stream about it. And apparently I don't even know how Robert Malone saw that stream and called up RFK Jr. and um, Senator Ron Johnson. And after like in the next couple of days, I got calls from both of them. Uh, one RFK offering me a job and then one from Senator Johnson, just I, I guess kind of offering an encouragement and because, because basically people realize that, that what I'm talking about is actually true. And so the evidence that I was finding is, is really important. 
And so, like I said, I, just the earliest iterations of, of some of the things I'm talking to you now, I, I got a job literally based off of a stream where I was, where I was talking about my latest findings. So that should tell you about the, the fact that people believe it and understand how important the implications are. So well, before we pause and you checked your door, we were talking about COVID shedding. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, one thing I wanted to say is that it was Ron Johnson who first warned me basically to be careful The basketball <laughs> because player? no, the Senator, <laughs> okay. because he's, uh, <laughs> he, he's one of the leading Republican senators and, and this was prior to the election. So he had previously been in charge of the oversight committee. And if the Republicans retook control of the Senate, then he would have been in charge of the COVID origin investigations, like in, as far as the Senate goes. And so they didn't end up winning, which I have my own opinions about. And so that didn't really, so now everything's gonna be done through the house, but it was him who first warned me to be careful, which was very concerning to me because uh, I, I don't want to say like exactly the things we were talking about, but he basically, he he's very concerned about the deep state <laughs> as well. I'd be concerned and, too, man. I can send you a 22 file. I don't know if I sent it to you already, but there's a, in the newest JFK release, there's a document and I have no idea what the hell to do with it. Um, I There's no use for it in anything. It doesn't make any sense. But it says, blank from a central intelligence agency overheard a couple of agents talking about Kennedy and that he needed to be dealt with within the next five years. Then blank was called to an army medical facility where she was going to receive a polio inoculation. And as the doctor was giving her the polio inoculation, the doctor said that this would make her forget everything, even getting the shot. And that is a document, and I can send this to you, and I can post it with the episode. I mean, I have. I might very have it, interesting. I might heard of that. Have it saved on my computer somewhere. If you give me a minute, I can probably find it and be able to pull it up for you. But I had sent this to so many people, just in the JFK release, where honestly, it's like it is her statement, so you can just take it as one person. But I go, she also works for the government, so you're losing your pension and everything else that follows that if you even state something like this that's a large claim but they decided to release that in the jfk files where i can't explain what the hell this is to do either and also if you know about operation uh, mockingbird which is getting all your covert agencies in line that's supposed to end end after three months in 63 um it's where the term conspiracy theory even got invented was the jfk thing it's a document called 1035 960 you can look it up um, it says that get all your media assets in line, that there's some conspiracy or all these things that are critics against the official story, which is the Warren Commission, and you will label them as conspiracy. And they were sent to Life Magazine, all these other types of giant influential news uh, stations and everything to call these things conspiracies and calling them communist type threats. That's where that term came from. But Mockingbird said to end after three months in 63. Well, I found a document in the 22 release that was from 65, and it talked about getting your covert media assets in line to uh, pitch this official story. Um, so that's two years later, and I go, I mean, Wikipedia is the source for finding it that it ended after three months. But also Wikipedia has changed a lot of different things on the Kennedy assassination that people have well screenshotted and documented. They have a statement on there about Lee Harvey Oswald. And let me tell you this. This is how crazy this is. Allegedly, Oswald, three weeks before the whole 
assassination happened, he went to the FBI Dallas headquarters and walked in and he said that from the woman's mouth who was working there said that Oswald threatened to blow the place up. Then it says period. And then it says, well, accounts vary if he was going to blow the place up or just report it to higher authorities. And I'm like, that's a big vary, man. And that's on the official page, like the first link when you click on it, it goes into Lee Harvey Oswald's thing. And even the guy who got the death threat note or whatever, wh where's the note? So we can verify if this is what he said. Oh, well, he the guy ripped it up and threw it down the toilet. So you kind of can't do anything with that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fucking star material, guys. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the 22 release that I think would shock you. And a lot of it is Kennedy related, but a lot of it's also like, you don't know what to do with, I mean, organized crime for a lot of people is new, but if you look into the assassination plots against Castro, everything you're saying about cancer research and things like this, they had weaponized batillium toxin to put in his skin suit. So when he goes skin diving underwater, his skin would basically peel off because of this toxin that was in the suit. And then the explosive cigars and poison cigars, and this leads into a bigger theory that the reason why we were in Vietnam was because of heroin. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons why we were over there, but it is the two longest wars we've ever had happen to be like the giant largest trades for heroin ever. And what this botillium black, black tar, what it is, and these cigars that they were using to try and poison them, it's a derivative from heroin. Like you can synthesize it and it boils down to the heroin thing. So that's weird in its own. And you can Google and look that up. I didn't believe it until I saw it. I was like, that's a fucking really strange coincidence that, I mean, sure, I'm sure it's a, you can overdose on anything, but at the same time, like they use that specific bit to create that and bioweapons were banned in the seventies. But I mean, we still see bioweapons attacks happen now as well too. They're just in small places. That's why most buildings are treated for anthrax attacks um, and things of that sort. Most government buildings are, you know, there's, that's a fear for them as an anthrax attack because in a small closed space, biological weapons can work and chemical weapons can work. <laughs> Well, um, sorry. No, um, yes. Um, so I've talked to historians about this, so I'm just giving you some context. Am I concerned? Am I concerned? Yes. Um, because like I was saying, the Senator Johnson, he, he was the first person to really tell me to be careful because because not everybody appreciates uh, the truth. <laughs> and and he, he, so one of the things that he, that all, he and everybody's concerned about is, you know, figuring out like who ultimately was trying to you know, push all these um, stupid ideas during the pandemic or who was trying to weaponize the pandemic to, to gain control or to violate civil rights or, or whatever they were doing. Um, and all the above he doesn't. Yeah. So he doesn't, he's very concerned because he knows that the, the things that we have always relied upon for our justice and for our homeland defense are not always working on behalf of the people that they're supposed to, to I guess sure. put it. Mildly. Just so I don't seem like a conspiracy theorist here, I'm going to show you the document because I have it right here. Um, no, go ahead. If any time my computer freezes, I can't help it. My computer's old. Um, she's on her last uh, leg there. So here's the document. Um, it'll it'll pop up in just a second. Just let me know when you see it on your screen. Yeah, see it? yeah I see it. 
So if you, this is in the 22 release archive. So he says right here at the top of it, but you say during the week of March 21st, 1961, after returning from lunch, she overheard a conversation between blank, blank, and possibly blank all, uh, what should it say? So, I can't read that part. It says, employee of the Central Intelligence Agency, which took place in the Central Intelligence Agency office located on the second floor of blank. She stated that she does not recall who was talking, but that the conversation concerned the fact that the president was not doing what was good for the country, especially when it came to Vietnam, and that he needed to be done away with within the next five years. She stated that the, this following remark to the group noticed that she had returned and the conversation was terminated. Blank stated that the following Friday, she was given U.S. Army orders to blank the personnel officer to travel to an unrecalled Army medical facility blank for a polio inoculation. She she stated that upon arriving at the medical facility, she was injected with some type of drug, which the medical technician later told her was a drug that which would make her forget everything. Blank stated that she now recalls that the technician told her that she would even forget getting the shot and that upon returning to her office, she was questioned about the injection by Blank. And she remembers that she told him that apparently she had received a polio inoculation, but it did not recall at the time of receiving it. So, you know, what sucks is that I can't show that on YouTube and I have showed it on YouTube, but I have to preface with like, I can't verify what this means or where it comes from but here it is but you it's a fucking government document don't give me i'm just saying this is what they have it's not me saying and saying this is what this is but there you go see i proved myself there fantastic but that stuff i was coming across in the 22 release and i was just sitting there like what the fuck do i do with this what what, what do i what do i say do i just go like here world and let people figure it out or because a lot of the stuff i hear sometimes about world population control and things of that sort i don't necessarily try and connect to but i mean damn it if that damn document doesn't you know start getting me to the basis of like what are we doing with mk ultra how far did it really keep going i mean you can look at the whole manson murders and things of that sort down that line <laughs> well so you keep like everything that you're pointing out what really what it shows is that at least to me is that there is a consistent pattern um, that's been going on for a long time. A fuckery, um, you say it. A fuckery. A fuckery, yes. And so they, whoever they are, I don't really worry about the they, because that's not what I'm trying to do day to day. But whoever they are, they're, they've been doing this for a long time, and they're very concerned about people... Uh, exposing what they've been doing. And so, you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say is that um, because I've been doing all of this and I know that the evidence that I'm finding is, is, is very damning, I have to be careful <laughs> about what I do and, and who I talk to because you never know when or exactly how somebody is going to respond. And for a sitting senator to, to be thinking about that and, and to be warning me just to be careful, it's disconcerting. And I know that when we have Andrew Huff on, um, I talk to Andrew very frequently, and he's the whistleblower from Equal Health Alliance. I can't believe he made me go through his booker to talk to him. I hope he hears this. I even said it to him. I was like, don't you, what, why does it get through your booker? He's like, just so she can put it in my calendar. I get it, but well, damn, well, he, man. He's, he's getting busier and busier. Um, now, granted, I, I've known him for like a, a year, year and a half now. And so, so I can talk to him more than ever. But because I was the person who leaked the diffuse documents through Drastic. Um, so I, I obviously worked with 
uh, Major Murphy to bring that to the public, he and I have like a similar like background in that we both been involved in exposing some of the key parts of this that that have really changed the narrative around the lab leak. And so because of that, like I, I can relate to a lot of the things that he's going through, but he actually had, and I don't even know if you know this, but they, whoever they are, whichever government agency it was, they replaced the electronics control module in his SUV. And he only discovered it because he was, he was cleaning his car and like washing it or doing something. So he, he lifted up his hood and, you know, it looks strange. It looks strangely clean <laughs> in that particular area um, compared to the rest of it. And, but they actually removed and replaced the, the thing, the computer that controls everything inside of the car. And he was able to prove it because of like the, the lot number that was on the, on the piece. And so, yes, it's very concerning because these people will do all sorts of things. I mean, he, he's, he's it's had not, a whole string it's not crazy. of interesting yeah, things that have happened to him. I want to ask him when he, when we talk to him, because he had a drone story I want to hear as well too. I've been, oh, he has, he has all sorts of drone stories. And thankfully he has like police reports and stuff that, that he's filed. It's not crazy. I'm still waiting for like a cool death to be hundred percent honest with you. If you look at some of the JFK ones, one is Jim Cothey. His official cause of death was neck chop. I swear to you. And there's three of that in the Kennedy assassination that died in like, yeah. So he's stepping out of the shower and he had received a blow to the back of the neck and apparently cut off something. But I showed it to a couple of people. I was like, what do you think about that? And people that aren't even into the assassination, not into any of these types of talk, just people I work with. And they're like, that's a trained killer. And I was like, okay, so you see that that's a little bit strange. Well, yeah, but... you, ha you have to be, to be able to, to perform something like that. Cause I, I pres I'm presuming it's an aorta. Like well, you're cutting off blood to the aorta There's or something. three different throat shops. Um, but there's even like weird stuff. And I think between a period of from 64 or 63 to 64, there was at least 30 something deaths that were people witnesses to the Dealey Plaza event. And then there was even more that came later. Now I can't, I think there's an estimated 126. I can't verify them all, but there's a lot of weird ones. Like brain hemorrhage is a death, but then it's like no autopsy was performed. And I was like, did you fucking wave your hands over his head and guess it? That's a crazy one. And I do funnel in like whoever's doing the autopsy could just be, depending on the state, might've just did a half-ass thing to it. But there's like, um, Larry Hancock is a guy I respect a lot. He's done great research and plenty of stuff with documentation. He's done for like, he made a couple of books about it as well too, but he interviewed Jim Cothey's, I think friend or close friend or something like that. And she, he did verify it was a neck chop. He was stepping out of a shower and someone had hit him in the back of the neck. And then I don't know if it's David Ferry or uh, Eddie Benavidez. He was shot in the head and then hit with an ax in the head. And then there was a dude in his backyard was shot because the guy mistaked him for a deer. And the dude lived in a community, like a neighborhood. It wasn't in the forest. It was in a fucking like city. So it's like, why do you have a gun and you're shooting someone in the in their backyard? So there's a lot of those weird ones where it's like, you just got to hope it's a good one. I know you probably have been shadow banned. I'd have to think at this point, there's probably some of your stuff that just doesn't come up. Or if I type in your name, it probably doesn't come up. Well, I mean, the Glenn Beck episode that I co-wrote, it was like a special. And typically it would only have been available on the Blaze TV like app or whatever. But they actually live streamed it on youtube as well because they wanted 
they didn't want it to be behind a paywall. But as it, it was like a three-hour thing, and, and as it was airing, partway through, it disappeared from like the drop-down menu, like whenever you would type it in. And ever since, like in the 18 months since it aired, the only way you could find it is if you went to the Blaze TV part of YouTube and then you look down in the videos to go and find it because it wouldn't pop up immediately in the in the search results. And so and and actually the the Blaze TV's Facebook page uh, also during the middle of the broadcast just was taken out. So so I, a million people saw it just on YouTube and I think another million or two on Blaze TV. But despite that, like they were actively uh, working against it to try and prevent people from seeing it. So that's what pisses me off about these, like this censorship policy is it's, it's an open door policy. They don't describe their terms definitive to a point and they do that on purpose so they can just flag you for anything. And then they don't tell you what they flagged you for. Like I've gotten some videos flagged on YouTube before, but I appealed um, and said, you need to check it again because nothing we said was anything bad. And they looked at it, they go, oh, sorry. And yes, I can get a couple mistakes that go through for sure. But also, they also have opened up the door to being much more than companies now. They have opened up the door to be successful avenues of revenue for a lot of people to make their daily living off of as well, too. Um, not just like Joe Rogan and Spotify and all these types of things, but they're literally platforms where people are begging to get a thousand subscribers for the purpose of monetizing. And then now they can reject your monetization based on certain data, number of F words you say in the first couple of minutes, um, all these simple types of things where it's like, well, the conversation and people style, if it's appealed to that, but that's just their issues. Like YouTube has so much content. I think Facebook Zuckerberg learned pretty quickly. I think he was on Rogan talking about the FBI agents that came up to him saying there's Russian disinformation going around and you need to ban the link from being sent. And that link was the Hunter Biden laptop story. So that shows you how connected a lot of these institutions are, but they don't describe their terms. Like I think if the idea of a second church committee, I don't think it's a bad one. Um, you just have to have an even balance of people on there. If you have a bunch of Republicans going in, I would have to say you have to put in some lefties as well, too. And I'm not I don't side with either of them. I just think it's the only thing the public's going to receive the best. I mean, the first church committee was a Democrat led church committee. It was Senator Frank Church who died of cancer. Um, I haven't looked into that one to be able to tell you if there's anything suspicious about that. But there's a lot of things that weren't properly established in the first church committee. They never published the CIA's budget. Um, William Colby said it, it wasn't needed. And it was like, well, you have a bunch of, and you can look this up in there too, the advancement of academic research by the CIA, the influence of nonprofit organizations that are subsidiaries of the CIA. They're just offshore accounts where they stash their money into. So there's a lot that gets that goes in there where you start wondering, what are you guys doing when it says covert operations? And you find out it's political assassination plots, whether it's Patrice Lumumba or the death of Dag Hammarskjöld. And he kind of just opened up the door like if we had a second one now, I mean how many companies would be exposed? So you got Epstein instance that happened, for instance, and nope, Gislaine Maxwell is the only one to be sentenced on trafficking charges, trafficking children to nobody, just no one, thin fucking air. So you go, how connected is this? You know, you don't have to go super conspiracy, but you now you're starting to see the corruption and you can't let people – flag it or spray paint on it and say oh it's a conspiracy it's all lies it's all manipulation it's like no it's 
real. There's people in positions of power doing shady shit, and this has happened since Bohemian Grove way back in the day. Now it just seems like the boomer iteration of it is fucking Epstein Island. So I, it, it, there's real connections when you start looking at like I think people need to understand their real history. I mean look up the scandals with Lyndon Johnson. There's plenty of accounts of him getting naked in front of press people. Um, they called him bull balls because he would show his balls all around. I had Walter Schaub on here from Government Ethics. He left during the Trump administration. He's got a million followers on um, Twitter. And I told him that. He goes, it sounds like a conspiracy. So I put a disclaimer in the episode, and I showed the articles, and I had someone narrate and show the articles. I go, you work in our government ethics board, and you don't know our history about how fucked up some of these presidents were and how hidden it was by our intelligence agency? That's their job, basically, besides doing their covert stuff. Whenever something leaks to the press, that's your agency's. That's their one giant responsibility when it comes to connection with the president. They don't let any of that happen. The Trump files that get leaked are leaked. The Biden files that get leaked, that that's your agencies. They would never show you video or talk about it. They would never let that hit the press, no matter who the journalist is. They're so captured, every journalist. It's ridiculous. There's basically no integrity anymore. There's only incentive to report whatever they tell you to. You know what this is? This is the modern day, the emperor has no clothes. Literally, like... Like I, I had never heard the the, the balls thing. I, I must not have listened to that whole episode because I because I, I know I started to, but but yes, that's exactly what this is because the real, the scary part about it is if they can succeed, is is that they can continue to hide it and and keep us from knowing these things, and it's almost as if as the technology has gotten better instead of being freer it's that we're far more controlled and controllable now than we were you know 50 years ago precisely because we all use these same devices and connect to the same internet and you know when i was you know 20 years ago and i was oh geez, 16 17 like the internet was this free place where you could go and and do whatever you want, and anybody can have a voice. And now it's very quickly being turned around on us as a as being weaponized against us. They would have never let it be free. They would have never let it be free if it, they knew how much impact it was going to have. I mean, it could have no, been I mean, like... just like the digital currency is yeah. the same way because you know here we have Bitcoin. This it's this new thing, and so it's changing cryptography, and 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 now they're going to do it themselves so that way they don't have to combat it elsewhere and it will be interesting to see if 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 private you know things like bitcoin can survive once the central bank digital currencies come out and because it, it's almost as if they're only doing the central bank digital currency because they can't control bitcoin um well and also because then they can manipulate the currency however they want to whereas to now they they're they're already printing money whenever they want but they still have to deal with the inflation that comes from it and i think in the future I, all all this basically means is that they're being able to control us more and more and we've seen that that the people who have this power have done nothing but abuse it so if we if it's one thing to say, okay, well, the press back in the 60s was able to hide the fact that President Johnson would 
would show off his balls to everybody. He used to piss on Secret Service member shoes where it's their accounts of saying that. And they, he also used to take a shit and have people follow him into the bathroom to continue his story. And you know what the PR department decided to cover that with? They said that he would be so exhausted from all of his long day meetings that he wouldn't be able to take a dump without someone being able to talk to him. No, it's not. It's the secretaries even said that he would drag them in there because he wanted you to smell what he was cooking. That's literally who he was. As a, But you got to understand, the positive to that is he also knew a lot of congressmen and a lot of people. So if you look at all the bills and stuff that he got passed, he knew how to deal with these people. And if you ever see a, him handshake somebody, you know how Trump handshakes somebody that brings them in? It's very aggressive. Johnson was tall as shit. And he would shake your hand, but he would lean over you basically as he shook his shook your hand. So he'd be leaning back, shaking his hand. It was a bully tactic, but he knew if he wanted to get something passed, he goes, do you want me to tell your wife what you did at that party? And then the person would be like, oh, fuck, dude, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because if, if I remember correctly, he'd been like the Senate Majority Leader or something prior to becoming – well, he, hung out, with for Kennedy, all of, he so. hung out with all of these guys, and the only reason Kennedy was on that ticket was because they needed the, the Dallas reputation aspect that Johnson had. Um, he did a lot towards the ending, which was really good, but that Vietnam War beat the shit out of him. But, I mean, that's well, the, the fact that, yeah, he, he was the ultimate, like, um, deep state guy, though. And I, actually, I was supposed to do a, a stream yesterday with, um, actually, I don't know, I don't know her name, but she goes by some bitch I know. And is that her name really? Well, some bitch I know is just like her, her avatar that she's got uh, on Twitter. I thought you were just saying um, like, it was just some bitch I knew. I was like, wait, hang on. I'll no, no, that's that. like literally her name. She calls herself L. I don't know. She's got a pretty sizable audience, but oh, I just had boobs. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, no, no. She a sizable audience. And, oh. um, but she's, she is really big on, on, on digging into uh, Adam Schiff and the fact that he's evil, which is absolutely correct because Adam Schiff is like the modern day, like Lyndon Johnson and that he, he, he was the head of the house intelligence committee and he's so owned by the, like the Intel community. It's, it's pathetic because he, he was basically, he was one of the people who's leading these um, interactions with Twitter and with Facebook and Google to, to do the censorship, but he's the head of the House Intel Committee, which means that he, he's basically, act, he, instead of being in charge of like um, making sure that the intelligence community is doing good things and not doing bad things, he's turning his oversight and basically being used as their vehicle to do what they can't do because they're not technically in the legislative process. It's really, he's, he was, it's obvious that he's basically owned by the intelligence community, but it doesn't matter. And so he, he led the investigations into Trump for the, um, for the impeachments, et cetera. It's scary to me because when we talk about insider trading, like who does not have connections, who's not owned? I'm like, dude, if you look at your intelligence agencies, look what they had the list of back in the day for the FBI. I mean, the FBI had taps on Hoover got his start from standing outside of motels and just watching congressmen and senators all go in and he had videotapes and all that type of stuff. So you look into the FBI, I mean, Hale Boggs, I never put a suspicious death for him. 
Um, I never thought he was suspicious. He's one that gets mentioned. But if you watch that AP archive video where he's literally standing up there and he's saying that Hoover is wiretapping congressmen, he needs to resign and all this. And the guy calls him a conspiracy theorist, like, what's your evidence? And it's where he says that you have to have the FBI investigate the FBI. Then I think a couple months later, his plane goes missing over Alaska and no parts were ever found. So I never put any weight into that, but watching that video and then knowing that afterwards Earl Warren pulled him aside and said, you can't talk to Hoover like that. You can't say that ever. And it was just like, why did Kennedy get Alan Dulles and Hoover when he immediately took office? Well, Alan Dulles had been in charge of the CIA for the longest fucking time. Um, so you got to think if you get the leader of the institutions that command all this respect on your side, then you'll, the agencies will follow you. Hoover, same thing. Everyone who was an FBI agent loved Hoover. Now, there is a conspiracy that he's gay with his guy, Clyde Tolson. I could tell you, I've seen the picture of him in a dress because um, he never acknowledged the mob. The mob was like, we had pictures of him in a dress. I found the photos. That's not enough evidence, but what is enough evidence is Jack Anderson. If you read his interview where he was looking through Hoover's trash, where Hoover had eventually pull his trash cans inside because he was tired of this... Jack Anderson laid it out that him and Clyde Tolson in their 70s would go to each other's houses every single night, and they would go to a little bistro. And it gets so specific in detail, I don't think you can make it up, where he says something like Hoover would get a grapefruit salad and something, and then Clyde Tolson would get a beef stew or something like that, except on Tuesdays where he would get a bean stew, a bean stew so instead of beef bean, with a dollop of ketchup put in it. And I go, that's so specific. I'm like, whether you're, you know, whatever. But then you look at his performance review for Clyde Tolson. He was said a very attentive to my needs. So if you really want to run down the rabbit hole that he might have been, you know, a lover of his, you could. But Hoover wasn't one. It was going to be retired by Kennedy. Kennedy wanted Hoover to retire once he got, took office and realized how bad Alan Dulles was. He fired Alan Dulles after the Bay of Pigs. Then after Kennedy's killed, Alan Dulles comes back on to lead the Warren Commission investigating the guy who fired him's death. So there's a lot of like weird connections and suspicious stuff, but Alan Dulles was also MK Ultra. That's him and Richard Bissell and a bunch of other people. So, and I'll give you one last thing, but um, of before of my rant, if you read um, I don't know if it's Richard Helms. He was in I think it was Richard Helms in his memoir because CIA people can write memoirs, but they have a ghostwriter that looks over it. His rough draft says, through my time as being a CIA director, we had done over thousands of covert operations. Now, that's regime change strategies. That's assassination attempts. That's a bunch of coup d'etat type stuff. In the final copy, that word a thousand changes to a couple dozen. So you look at the rough draft where he's speaking off the top of his head, which is probably more accurate. Then you have the ghostwriter come in and you look at the final copy that says a couple of dozen. That's a big impact in the wording. It's lawyer speak. It's like when you look at documents and they're kind of difficult to read. That's what they do. They craft it in a language where even if you're suing somebody, do you know if you won? You're like, am I in trouble? Do I owe money? And it's like, no, you you won. It's like, it doesn't seem like I won. That's how they do it. It's a really weird kind of tactic that they have, but they make it as complicated as possible. It's like if you start explaining medical evidence or you start explaining physical or bullet trajectories and all this type of stuff. The public just – they phase out because not a lot of people know about bullet trajectories or medical evidence or skull fragments and things of these sort. And same thing with shots and things. When someone says a spike protein, they go, is that like a volleyball? No, no, no. It's something different, and that's where the discussion gets lost, and then you have someone who might be working in that institution that is trying to pitch a narrative, whether they think they're doing the right thing or not, but 
it's getting relate to them in a way that fits their narrative and might be leaving out some key pieces where like, hey, in the past, we never did that before, but now we're doing it now. It's a little bit weird. Well, that's exactly it's it's what makes it so hard with like like literally all day every day what i do is i research various aspects of the pandemic and i try to look for evidence and so i've read thousands of of scientific articles and what i've realized is that even as a non-scientist i've learned enough to get to the point where it's really hard to then take that information and go talk to you know, people with no expertise or experience in it and be able to, to easily articulate, okay, what it is that I can see because I've because the general public just doesn't, there's so much. And so it's so easy for scientists. What I've realized is that scientists can do whatever they want and they can hide behind this language. And that's incredibly. And it's only going to get worse because as technology improves, that gap between the average person's knowledge and an expert's knowledge is going to keep getting bigger. And honestly, it's it's how they've been able to hide all the gain of function work and everything they've done because they've just made it indecipherable. And and just on a completely separate note, um, RFK, the... I thought you were going to say Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK. No, no, I was no. about to jump through this. <laughs> no, 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 no. But to kind of go back to the point that you were, were talking about, RFK was thinking about running for president. Well, then obviously he was later on. But even during his his brother's administration, who was he? He was um, actually what was he? I can't remember now what his specific title was. Secretary General. Was it, yeah, he was Secretary attorney, General. I don't think he was Attorney General. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, he, he was a, I'm something for the Department too. of Justice. But he was basically – it, I, maybe Attorney General, but basically – RFK was going he, after the mob very, very hard. He, Hoover he was very, did not like it. Yes, he was very intent on cleaning out a lot of this stuff. And, and I don't remember specifically, but I know for a fact that like the mob – and everything dealing with the FBI, the CIA, he wanted to go in there and just really um, change things around. And so, like, there was an obvious reason why he would be targeted because he was very intent on on pushing even harder than his brother had, and they obviously didn't like that. And so, there was a lot once of stuff, again, similarities with Nixon. I'd hate to bring that in there if any JFK people are listening because they'll get mad that Nixon was nothing like or JFK was nothing like Nixon. That's not what it was. It was about playing the game and they didn't play the game. The Kennedy brothers had there's plenty of photographs of them talking where you won't be able to hear. You got to understand, if you have a brother, if you have a sibling, you have conversations with that sibling that no one else will understand or no one else will even know. Now you have two of those people in office where you're running against the military industrial complex. The CIA director wants to know what's going on. The FBI director wants to know what's going on. And you're just having backdoor dinners and Thanksgiving gatherings without any of your government officials there. That's a problem because you guys talk about policy one night drinking. And next thing you know, the next day they come in, everything's changed up because you had a drinking night with your brother and decided to discuss policies and what you're going to change. It's not crazy to get there, but 
Nixon was kind of the same way. Nixon was doing a bunch of shit that the government was like, this is not how we do this here. We do it this way because this strategy works and we haven't gotten caught yet. And Nixon's like, oh, I want to do it this way. And you guys work for me, so do it. It was just being a problem for whatever these people that had been in these institutions for 60, 50 years. And then you come in with your four-year term and try and change a bunch of stuff. And that's not, they like their routines. Just like Trump. Now, now that looking back, it becomes easier and easier to understand why the fact that he was such an outcast and outlier. I believe was he was targeted too. My issue is, is oh, that no you, doubt. we keep having a revolving door of people with multiple different personalities. It's like we go hardcore one way and then hardcore the other way. And it makes it very, very difficult, especially if we talk about China. Like if we have one guy who's soft on China and then one guy who's hard on China, they'll just wait four years till the guy who's hard on China and we get a soft guy on China and then they start doing a bunch of shit. I mean, how long was that CCP balloon up there? I believe it was a message. Obviously, they have better spy technology than a balloon to fucking spy on us, but it was a message of our relationship with Taiwan. It was also to see how far they could keep creeping over here before they just uh, we decided to shut or uh, shoot it down because we don't want to risk relations. A lot of multi, it's like a multifaceted message, but I mean, it's scary times too because over there they're not fighting about where the virus came from. Nobody's even acknowledging it over here. We can't even get over the discussion. All right, and so. So the, the main thing that I really wanted to, to talk about was the, the evidence that very shortly myself and, and Andrew Huff and others will be talking about and, and testifying under oath about, because I think that it provides a really good picture of, of what the case is against Dr. Fauci, against all these other people regarding their handling of the pandemic. Uh, and the origin as well. So um, I don't know. Uh, but basically, my argument is that we don't have to know the origin of the virus to understand the origin of the pandemic itself, which means that whoever made the virus, at the end of the day, we, we don't have to wait until we know that to start holding people accountable because there are crimes committed regardless of whether or not um, somebody, whether or not Fauci made the virus. For example, Dr. Fauci is still uh, and should be held accountable for all of the various crimes against humanity that he's committed. Um, and basically the general gist of it is, is that uh, Dr. Fauci and other scientists knew, based upon the suspicious things that they saw inside the viral genome, that the virus had almost certainly been manipulated. They knew that such manipulations likely came from pseudovirus and insertion techniques very similar to U.S. and Chinese viral vaccine and therapeutic, what's called MCMs, or medical countermeasure programs. And, and that was my verbatim statement. But the Department of Energy news that came out a couple of days ago, in which they talk about how their scientists believe that the virus came from a lab, what, what somebody else, Dr. Burks, like the next day came out and was talking about more specifics about it. And what she mentioned was that a certain scientist named Bette Korber, it was her lab, it really 
came up with the evidence that led them to to change their mind. And that's a problem, at least in my mind, because what Bette Corber does is investigate the HIV virus and runs a computer system that's designed to take pieces of the virus called epitopes, put them in like a simulation and to see if a vaccine based upon that those specific epitopes will be valid or not valid. And so these, these simulations that are done, they've been doing them for a long time and they know all about how the human body responds to the HIV virus. And so they didn't mention why they had changed their mind, but that's her job. That's what she does. And so if she was the one who is, who's kind of leading that effort, then what that really means is that they knew it was unnatural because of the very same epitopes that Dr. Fauci said had to be natural. So if you can't figure out why that's a problem, then yeah. just go back to school because that's bad. Well, we can go back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about the number of things that number of people and problems that did happen, the corruption in the system as well, too. But I mean, Fauci, the number of lies that were doubled down on the number of I mean, there's the way that China views this is a lot differently than how we viewed it. They kind of viewed it like a bunch of people died and each one of those bodies has a lawyer. We were more worried about mass at the time. They were understanding that there was a lot of other things going on when it came to the amount of people that were going to rise up with lawyers and things of that sort. We were more like, where are we going to get our masks from? You know, So there's a different frame of thinking, and now if we look at what they're probably thinking now that we've got this more under wraps compared to when the beginning was, the American government is now talking about, oh, shit, people died. People lied about statistics about people dying as well, too, what they called a COVID-related death with the term vaccination or vaccinated changed. So they really messed with the medical system a little bit, and the trust that was might have still been there is now gone. So we have to look at what damages that goes to, how many people are going to start getting settlements for injuries or things of sorts that start arising out as well, too. I mean, it's a whole house of cards of issues, but I mean, what do you feel like would be some good proper steps that you could suggest that would be looked through? I mean, obviously, anybody that had direct involvement on doing a lot of this cover-up action would have to be taken out of their position as well, too. Um, corporations would probably have to pay fines or, or penalties. Uh, more than Pfizer, more than any of this type of stuff. And also our government would have to start making statements to get the public back in on the discussion or the track of understanding the truth as well, too. You don't need to know where it originated from. Like, I think we checked a bunch of bat caves in Wuhan and all this other type of stuff that happened all the way to Cabo, basically. But you're, you don't need to know that. You don't need to check the bats. What you need to check is that institution, that research there, and that holds a bigger problem because you have China as well, too. I mean, they're not going to be happy with you snooping around, even if you did fund some of their research into whatever that they were doing over there. So we just need to be able to look at our receipts and be able to see exactly what we funded and exactly when we funded it. You know, if it did go there, we can say it went there. We don't have to do an investigation there, but it's more than likely that that's the solution now is that it did come from that lab. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. There were three people that got that worked there that got sick with symptoms. 
So you you get this point of like, we've seen the lies. We understood that they lied. Now, what are you going to do about the lies that they did? And then now they have to answer to that. And there can't be any of this back and forth. Like, well, actually, technically, there's a bunch of that legal mumble jumble that gets thrown in the mix. It's like I mentioned to you about legal documents. That's exactly what they're doing when I see Fauci testify and say, actually, actually. And then he stops. Are you going to let me talk? It's like, stop. You're avoiding everything. Just get to the main point. I'm tired of hearing of this is actually how it works and this is actually how it works because it's not how it actually works. It's a really simple question. Did you fund that lab or not? Did you work on gain-of-function research or not? Well, the term gain-of-function, you change the terms, so don't try and pick or patter. What did you fund? When did you fund it? Very simple. That should be open statements. That's public knowledge now. This is more – I mean the Pfizer documentation or the stuff that went into the vaccines was going to be delayed for like 75 years, and then people started rolling out a little bit of files, a little bit of information on it. And it's like when you're doing something like that, when you start going, how much money did you make? When you start going, you're not going to release the formula. You don't sound like you're out there to make people better. You sound like you're out there to make your own money, You know, keep it to yourself and profit off of all of it. That doesn't sound like a cure to the pandemic. That sounds like a business opportunity. You know, and that's what this was for a lot of people. And we saw people get richer. We saw their lives get better. And we saw people that lost their jobs and lost their families. And that's not denying COVID's existence. That's not doing any of that, what people want to label. It's having the conversation on real true corruption, especially when it can lock us in our homes for so long, especially when we're entering a world where everything is getting put more in the hands of people that could literally take your life away. Not saying like, like actually kill you. I'm just saying our cable bills, for instance, if your power goes out, what do you do? You call someone to try and fix it. We have a lot of things already that are in the hands of another person to be able to fix. And in this term, a lot of people were scared and they gave these doctors and all these people that we trusted in our government, our medical, you know, choices. We let them make a decision for us. And then I'm not even going to say this is a conspiracy. I'm not, I'm going to make this long leap to this, but then we have this abortion topic that gets brought up. You let them make medical decisions for you, and they move the goalposts. They always do. Everyone does. It's human nature. It's not just corruption or certain individual figures like Fauci. It's people in positions of power that found out how to work the system. And it's also they like the way that they like things to run. I mean, our pres- whoever gets elected president, whatever political party, their notes are whatever their party is. And then there's other things they can't change. And our government has, I mean, throughout human history, things have gone bad because of our curiosity. It's not just an American thing. So that lab should have been looked into, shouldn't have been labeled a conspiracy theory and shouldn't have been marked as racism for doing so as well, too. That's it's a very dangerous thing. So I think you're, you you can make some great advances, um, you and Andrew Huff, when you guys talk about this as well under oath. Um, to really trying to get some real questions out there. It's just trying to pick or patter around the bullshit because that's what everybody wants to do. Well, that's that's the basic uh, argument that I'm trying to make is that there's there's a lot of different aspects of this pandemic, but what it really boils down to, the parts where they made drastic negative decisions that impacted all of our lives, they didn't even require, like it was completely unrelated to whether or not the the virus came from China or America. It was all 
about how we responded to the pandemic. And really, the, the evidence that, that I found doesn't deal necessarily with just the virus. It deals with what they knew and when they knew it. Because really, it, it, if you just wanted to boil down what my, what my argument in particular is, it's that there were four different pieces of the genome. So if you take this SARS-CoV-2 virus and you lay it down, or spike protein, and then you take the original SARS spike protein and lay them next to each other, the SARS-CoV-2 virus genome in the spike is longer by almost exactly these four inserts, and which is why they're called inserts, because they're entire pieces that weren't there that don't have a corresponding um, record in the genomic or historical record saying, okay, well, this is where these came from. They just appeared out of nowhere. And once these pieces were announced for the first time, which is on January 31st of 2020, the very next day, which is so February 1st of 2020, that, that day was when Dr. Fauci had this teleconference with a whole bunch of leading scientists from around the world. And literally all of the scientific censorship that took place arose from the decisions made at that meeting and then another meeting two days later. And it wasn't just the scientific censorship. Eventually, the hand-in-hand the -hand partnership between the NIH and the people who are censoring, which we now know for a fact, were agencies within our federal government, everybody, well, from CISA, which is like an election integrity agency that it used to be within the Homeland Security, and now it has its own separate agency. But they've been using themselves, the CIA, NSA, and other platforms to conduct this, to work with the companies to target specific individuals or organizations to censor. And so it started with just trying to suppress information about a potential connection with HIV in this virus and, and the origin to branch out to be anything that whoever had the censorship ability wanted to censor, then they just started doing it. And, but, but these specific four inserts, one of which is the furin cleavage site, they knew that they made this virus highly transmissible. They knew that they made it a pandemic level virus in terms of transmissibility. And they knew that before China had even admitted that it could transfer between humans at all. So they knew it was a pandemic level pathogen before anybody publicly had stated that it was even a threat to any humans, like the two, let's say you're sick and the person next to you is laying down next to you sleeping, you know, technically that they didn't have proof that it could transmit between those two people. But Fauci knew that, and he knew that three weeks before that meeting because they finalized this, the sequence for the vaccine two days after the genome was released. So on January 13th, 
And that was three weeks before that meeting. So Dr. Fauci knew that it, that it could cause a pandemic, but he said nothing, even as he was arguing with Donald Trump, who wanted to impose a, a, a travel ban from China. So that's a problem because that means that he and other leading scientists knowingly and intentionally allowed this virus to spread for another two months. And, and then only after it had spread across the globe did they call for lockdowns. So there's so much wrongness wrapped up in that set of decisions. And the public has not figured this out yet. Like I've been trying to explain it to them. But once they do understand that, then they're going to realize, wow, well, then what were the lockdowns for if we should have done them, if they were ever going to work? then they should have been done in January of 2020, not in March, at which point I got sick because I was in Prague, Vienna, or um, Czech Republic. I got sick, I believe, traveling back through Madrid. And like, the world didn't know what they knew, but they allowed it to spread. Then they used the lockdowns to take control. And ever since, We've been dealing with the fallout from that. So everything from ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, um, they knew that hydroxychloroquine worked because it had worked against the original SARS. And there's a whole class of drugs called antiretrovirals that work on SARS-CoV-2 specifically because it works on the same parts of the HIV virus. And Dr. Fauci knew that. In fact, one of the authors of the Proximal Origin paper that Dr. Fauci has always used as evidence that it was, the virus was natural, one of the authors was Robert Gary, who helped invent the entire class of drugs called antiretrovirals. So they knew this, and they withheld all these drugs, even though they knew that they would work. They knew that it was an aerosol spreading virus, but they, but, and especially because of this fruit and cleavage site. And once again, they allowed it to spread. So the lockdowns, the drugs, all of these things that they've done that we have questioned and wondered why they would do them, they all tie back to the fact that they, they wanted to sever this link between HIV vaccine research and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And whoever made the virus knew the science behind HIV vaccine research, which is something that I discovered that people don't know, that because I went back to 50 studies, 49 exactly. And I was, so I went back two decades and showed how these exact scientists in China and the US had been trying to make an HIV vaccine and so they knew to avoid these specific parts whenever they would make a vaccine. But with SARS-CoV-2, whoever made it took the worst parts, took the parts that always got removed and kept them for that virus. And then when we made the SARS vaccine or the COVID-19 vaccine, we kept those same bad parts that had never been kept before. And... Um, and now we're seeing the consequences in 
everything from cancer to long COVID. So, so all of the 17 or 16 conclusions that I made that I'm going to be testifying about, the same things that, that caused Robert Malone and RFK and other people to, to notice my work, are tied to this fact that Dr. Fauci knew a whole bunch of stuff about the virus. And he did the exact opposite of what he should have done in terms of responding to it. So everything that I've been talking about, those are crimes against humanity. And those are the, some, some of the charges that we're, that we're accusing him of in our testimonies. Well, Charles, I wish you the best of luck with it. You know, I appreciate having you back on the show as well, too. I mean, you're doing a big thing on that. I mean, I hope I can get the public in a little bit on the discussion, at least the people that will view this, because it sadly won't be on YouTube. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that uh, me, too. I've said said it to the whole lab leak, everything. There's a lot of things throughout this pandemic that we were kind of forced to self-censor, which kind of sucks because um, the information needs to get out there. But. I mean, you have plenty of links that are available for people to click on. You want to rattle off a couple of your links just so people listening can hear it if they're driving in their car, and then I'll make sure to link it in the description as well. Oh, geez, um, I mean, yeah, per Prometheus, Prometheus Shrugged is my substack, And so if you just Google that, you'll, you'll come up to it. And yeah, I mean, Prometheus Shrugged, the, the name comes because, I mean, originally it comes from Atlas Shrugged, which is a book about a bunch of industry leaders who um, go into hiding because they disagree with how the world is becoming more collectivist, which is well, basically what's happening now. And, and so it was, it was an example of the people who, who hold the world on their shoulders, taking a step back and pausing because that's the only way that they can fight against what they see as uh, unjust or unnatural um, attempts to control the world. And in this case, uh, Prometheus is the person, is the great God who, who carried the flame of, of wisdom. And so he taught humans, he took the, the fire from the gods and taught humans how to make fire. Which, and science has always been this, the flame of Prometheus. It's always been this, this wisdom that's gained through experience and, and um, experiments and teaching humans lots of useful things. But just like fire, you know, if we dig too deeply into some things, it can burn us. And what's happened is that scientists basically did things they weren't supposed to do set the world on fire with through this pandemic and then instead of taking responsibility for it or warning the planet about this fire they have let it spread and they've tried to pit people against each other to distract them from the real fact, which is that science did something, either they messed up or they did it on purpose, and they've basically been gaslighting the entire planet about what this virus is and, and how we should learn from this pandemic. Because how we really should learn from this pandemic is that we shouldn't let 
scientists have so much freedom to just go out and do whatever they want to do and to mess with dangerous things. Like we should be making rules to, so that scientists can't play with fire this easily. But instead, all we've done is, is governments around the world have been using this fire and exploiting it to all sorts of ends so that they can gain greater, greater control over society. And so we've learned all the wrong lessons. And if we don't expose the truth, then it will just make everything so much worse. And I mean, it's almost ironic that, that the Department of Energy report came out just a couple of days ago because what it, the evidence that, that it talks about and the, and the scientists that it cites, I literally seven months ago laid out the fact that the reason I used, um, her name is Beth Korber, I used her name and her research at Los Angeles National Laboratories as my argument to say that this is why Dr. Fauci knew unequivocally that the virus was unnatural because, because of this person and her research. And two days ago, they, that news came out and it showed that, that the entire Department of Energy report is based off of her research. But nobody's connected those two things. So really what it does is everything that I've been arguing keeps getting proved. But we're not allowed to put these things together. And we need to because when we put them together, it shows us exactly what they were doing and exactly how they managed to pull the wool over our eyes. I'm going to link your sub stack in there because people will see where you're able to draw those <laughs> so connections sorry, sorry. together. So Prometheus Rudd, so if you go there, the, the pinned article is called Myth of the Blind Watchmaker. And so if you read that article or if you read the, the preprint that's on ResearchGate that's tied to it, it's got a bunch of the background evidence and stuff that it really helps you to understand what it is that I'm arguing. But so that's the angle that that I've been working. And then obviously Andrew Huff being a former, you know, employee of EcoHealth Alliance, he's he's able to testify to the links between the CIA and EcoHealth Alliance. And then we have other three other experts that each are also testifying to, to various parts about this involving um neurodegenerative diseases, which is Kevin McCarran, uh, Joanna Dinert, who can testify to German links to this research and also to other vaccine concerns. And then Dr. Fleming, so Richard Fleming, who, who kind of, he led and like initiated the effort. And he is a, a, a cardiologist who, when he was much younger, was very involved in researching HIV and then the connection between viruses and, and uh, cardiac concerns. So he knows a lot about HIV and he knows a lot about things like myocarditis, for example, and he can explain why all that's connected. And so that's the group of, well, and yeah, so yeah, that's all five of them. And so what we did and what we're doing is we're taking all this evidence 
and it's we're working with state attorney generals to file a lawsuit against the the federal government, which they have the ability to do, based off on all this evidence. And we feel very strongly that's the best way to really drag all this stuff out into the light, into the limelight. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I don't have a lot of other links and stuff. People can also Google the Crimes Against Humanity tour, which is a, a speaking tour that we did during the course of last year. But the bottom line is, is that's the there's a group of five of us, and Congress is already aware of it, and so there's certain people assisting us there. And looking forward, we think this is going to be one of the best ways to drag this evidence out into the open. I'm going to link your links in the description, Charles. Like I said, it's been a pleasure chatting with you again, man. Um, And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Blank Podcast.